Hi everybody, it's Autumn coming at you from the editing room um, on my bad earbud microphone. Just to give you two quick notes about this episode. Uh, one, the important one, um, a content warning for talk about suicide and suicidality and suicidal ideation. Um, that comes up uh, with the David Berman album, which we talk about in the second half of this episode. So. Uh, if you don't want to, if you're not in a place where you want to hear a conversation about that, uh, the Lucinda Williams talk should be totally fine. Um, yeah, I think that's right. There's a little talk about death on, because that is the topic of the album, but no suicide. Um, but yeah, after the Lucinda Williams album, if you don't want to hear about those topics, just dip out. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Um with um, 1,000 Gex, um, Weight of the World by Mike, and um, Descendants of Cain by Ka. Um, other, much more lighthearted note, um, the, end, the end of the episode is kind of weird, and it feels like Regs is like, finished like halfway through a thought, and then the music hits and the episode is over. Uh, we got real, real sidetracked, and I cut the last 16 minutes of the pod, I think, and I'm going to put that in a big Patreon episode with um, a couple other things. We just talked about, like, Foucault for, like, 16 minutes, and I was working on a big Patreon episode anyway because I had two things that we would recorded that we needed to put out, and so I just cut that from the end of the episode. Uh, on with the episode. Episode four of season two of Hot Singles. I am Regs or Michael, pronouns they them. And I'm Autumn, uh, they them. And we are here to talk about two albums. Yeah, uh, I brought this week. Um, ah, <laughs> Car Wheels on a Gravel Road by Lucinda Williams. Yeah, I was looking at. I was looking at a picture of the Purple Mountains album cover, and I was like, what the fuck am I talking about? Yeah, it's not that one. (laughs) And and I've brought the album Purple Mountains by Purple Mountains. Um, So, yeah, this is the one where we're like, fuck, country? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Um, It was due at some point, so we we sort of got to get into it. Yeah. Do we? Do you have an instinct about where you want to start? Because I don't. Um, hmm. I'm going to say Lucinda Williams because it, it feels like Purple Mountains is like a derivative of and extends. So like, yeah, I'm fine doing a sort of in, chronology. In lineage. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So yeah, go for it.
genius pages for these albums i didn't pull up the wikipedia pages and so genius.com forward slash purple mountains (laughs) gonna make that joke every single time now so car wheels on a gravel road was released in 1998 i believe it was lucinda's oh i thought it was her second album it's like her fifth album um this is lucinda williams is a like country singer who has been kind of at the edges of country music um for since the late 80s early 90s um i believe she and uh one of this album's producers steve earl are two big people in like alt country which is not a phrase that we throw around as much in 2020 but was definitely like all the rage when i was growing up in the 2000s um and Lucinda Williams is like one of the people that we think about when we think about that. Uh, and Car Wheels on a Gravel Road is kind of her like her classic. Like there are like if you t- like I was talking to a Lucinda f- fan at work and she was like, oh, no, no, I like Sweet Old World better. Um, and I know some people who like World Without Tears better. But Car Wheels on a Gravel Road is like the undisputed classic, the one that's going to show up on your like. You know, if if Pitchfork did just like a list of the 
hundred best albums ever. This would be the like the country album that got the biggest nod, probably. Like yeah. Car Wheels on a Gravel Road is like <clears throat> For kind of an encapsulation of everything that she's trying to do as a songwriter. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I have seen her live. I have heard albums that she's done since then. Um like she's still just doing this thing and she's the best fucking person in the world at this thing that she's doing. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, for, for that pitchfork context that like, obviously I tried to do a bit of reading about it. Um, Car Wheels on a Gravel Road got a 9.5 as a sort of like throwback review from Pitchfork a couple of years ago. So like clearly even, well, even like it really did get that sort of like mm-hmm. prestige understanding and appeal. Like you saw Chris Gow reviews of listening to Williams stuff, like really crazy. Yeah, Chris Gow would have been like the guy back in 1998 who was like, oh, this is like, you know, a, a, a country album that can appeal to the sort of rockest set of critics, which yep. this is the first time that any, either of us has said rockest on this podcast. So I now mean, we're really in too deep, but... You, fuck, you fuckers have read a Mark Fisher article. You know what a rockest critic is. <laughs> um, um, yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't realized. I'm clicking around on Lucinda's page right now that, like, this was her first album in six years. I had forgotten that bit of context. Um, um, I don't know. I don't know biographically what the context of that was. If she was just touring during that time, or if she was struggling with any sort of thing in that time. But um, yeah, from the little bit I did do of reading, it sounded like a lot of. It took a very long time for people to take her seriously. It took her a very long time to land on labels that would actually support what she wanted to do, mm-hmm. and like. I'm, I'm just looking. She has like those like what will get presented as like old school country, not particularly out there covers of classics albums stretching back to fucking 1979. Like she's mm-hmm. been doing something like this for a very long yes. time. And it takes this long to get like the right set of songs with the right label, with the right supporting cast, with the right producer in the right moment. And like, it finally happens. And I, if you throw away three versions of this album because no one takes it seriously, everyone compromises it. And that makes perfect mm-hmm. sense. Well, and it's also, um, as I'm tabbing through, like, Steve Earle is, like, a big name in country music. And, you know, I don't think it can be uh, underrated in or understated in the way that, like, men have a much easier time in country music than women do. Um, Nashville is a very, very peculiar conservative place. Um, and Steve Earle, who's operating in a very similar, like songwriting mode as Lucinda Williams, um, uh, is seen as like, oh, he's kind of the edgy new kid at this time, or when he came out, whereas Lucinda Williams is like, what the hell are you doing? You're, you and like, yeah, like men are allowed to make changes in music. Uh, women are not. Y- you also see this. I can see this getting some sort of crossover appeal because of like having the right male producers in the same way that Shania Twain, uh, like all her success in the 90s was always credited to her husband, who was the producer on these albums. Like it's a. Yeah, OK. I it's very easy to construct this narrative without even like actually knowing if that's the thing that's going on at the same Um, time like this is still we can do the the whole decrying the fact that this album could only come out in the particular way it came out after all that hardship 
I mean, it's still it's still her album. It's still very much her voice, which is like oh yeah, this is um, this is through and through like Lucinda's album, and just like get into the actual album. The thing that I I joked about the other day is it sounds like back when restaurants had smoking sections. (laughs) It doesn't. It doesn't sound to me like when you could just smoke at a restaurant. It sounds like when there started to be a movement of like, no, we have to. like separate out the smokers and the non-smokers because like you know i was a kid in missouri going to ihop and i remember this because it was like my like pa- my, my dad did not want me like around the smokers because i was six <laughs> you know yeah. i don't know when missouri got rid of just like no smoking in restaurants but like it was in my lifetime um but for certain there's, but there's this sort of weird i th- like to extend that as a cultural metaphor there's this weird extended moment of like crossover between like very traditionalist very timeless old school americana and the Mm -hmm. like slow introduction of modernity that like creeps in and changes the texture of everything and like there's clearly a massive textual difference between like even listen to well between this album and like i don't know casey musgraves or taylor's early stuff but like you can feel some of the like the like imprints of that like new way of feeling and relating starting in this right and you can you can see lucinda's influence on current country music and like the ways that she brings in like rock music stuff which is you know country music and rock music have been in conversation since as long as rock music has been around but like the particular way in which she's bringing rock into this uh and then you can compare it to like Dolly Parton and Emmy Lou Harris and Linda Ronstadt, who who are her predecessors, um, and it's like, oh, there's there's a progression here, you know, like there is, um, or there is an arc. I'm not gonna say that, like, oh, and now country music is better because of Lucinda Williams. <laughs> Williams. There's, there's there's just an arc because history is changes. <laughs> yes, that's how it works. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, and. Oh, gosh. So the album... I'm trying to think about, like, why is this album so important to me? And it's not just because, like, like Lucinda Williams is, like, a singer that, like, my dad was really into. Like, I have, like, been listening to her music for as long as my dad was driving uh, around in the car, you know, (laughs) and just had CDs. Um, I guess this is this is where I want to come at it from is that my dad is a big country music fan and so I had some background with it as a teen I really like did not listen to much country music and at some point was like maybe like 21 ish a couple years ago I was like you know a lot of people that I'm around in like you know music fans say like that they don't like country music, that they'll listen to just about anything except country music. And so I kind of was, I kind of resolved myself. I'm like, oh, fuck that. There's like this whole genre with this whole long history. And um, that I wanted to like, you know, I wanted to be a person who liked country. I decided that I was going to like country music because like <laughs> it's fucking bullshit the way that like it is uh, disrespected in so many like, music spaces that i've been in online and so lucinda was one of the first like this album was one of the first albums that i went to when i decided to give myself that project because it's just like oh i remember that name from when i was a kid and it's just 
it's just some of the best songwriting. <laughs> like, yeah, it's Lucinda, Lucinda Williams is just um, one of like the finest lyricists in the English language. Like, I don't. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like... I'll grant you that one. It's just good. Just really, really oh. good. Um, she does, and she does all of the things that I love so much in um, in the genre, which is that she's kind of. She's doing um, a lot of, like, storytelling things. She's doing some, like, kind of poetic, emotive, like, I'm just, um, I'm just driving to places and just, like, naming the places that I drive to, and that creates a scene, because, like, you, like, I, the listener, like, I've driven through Louisiana, um, I've been in a restaurant with a smoking section in Louisiana, (laughs) um, and like, um, and like word, like a lot of like fun wordplay. Not quite so much as like Purple Mountains. Purple Mountains has a lot of wordplay stuff. Yeah, that yeah I no, love, he, but um, he like he likes puns. But we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. Um, and it, and it's an album that can move through a lot of different moods. It's got um, like. Car Wheels on a Gravel Road and um, Joy and I Lost It are like very like upbeat like songs with a with that move. Um, and then you've got your like sad songs and like like Charles and you've got like the songs where she's almost kind of whispering and her voice is so raspy um, that it's like really good. Um, I don't know. I'm effusive about this album. I'm running out of time. No, no, I, it, there, you have every reason to be. It's in, it's like a properly incredible album. Um, I'm just trying to think, like, in terms of moments, there are... It, it's rather... It, I'm thinking about Drunken Angel and Too Cool to Be Forgotten as, like, a pair, because I, I just, like, that's where I fell back on the album. Like, yeah. I was really listening to it over the past few hours. And, um... Mm-hmm. That, so, like, at first I thought, is Too Cool To Be Forgotten a Prince track? It feels like it should have been a Prince track with the, last, <laughs> with the numbering like yeah. that. I've never understood why she spells it that way, except I, that it rules. Yeah, whatever it is. It's, it's hashtag radical with a K. Welcome to Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 2. Everything's radical with a K. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like, the, 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 the sort of mood she evokes, again, it's the, like, it's the, the you you don't need me to tell you don't need me an English person who has never done the driving through the through this through the south to tell you what the moods it evokes are. But like, mm-hmm. there's a sort of storytelling narrative quality to it that you just don't get anywhere else. Like, I w- like if I was looking for cultural artifacts that would explain that mood and that tone to me, I would look to something like this because it evokes it so so beautifully. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, the, uh, the what, you were talking about the songwriting, just like, it's, am, am I allowed to just like go, the one thing that I didn't click with the album is I realized how American it sounded, if that's a weird thing to say. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, it the, is that, you know? Yeah. So like, I grew up without having any country in my musical diet whatsoever. Like I got a lot of American pop music that's clearly got a lot of country shades in it, um, mm-hmm. but no actual core country music. Um got a lot of like rock instead and then quite quickly as soon as I developed my own music taste ended up on stuff that was much more either British influenced or like like new wave and sceney so like I'm thinking 
Sonic Youth, Talking Heads, that whole New York scene as like the, the, the stuff that produces all the American acts that I really love of the like 80s and 90s. And then I'd otherwise British stuff, like, I don't know, mm-hmm. Joy Division, Smiths, whatever it might be. Those are the guitar bands that, like, made up the sound world that either that I listened to directly or that, like, produced the whole lineage of music that I listened to. Mm-hmm. And the main thing about that is, like, they have different guitar tones. And they have different snares. Like, these snares sound more to me like metal than they do, like, the soft acoustic indie rock that I'm actually used to. And that's right. re- really, really unusual to me that, like the first couple of tracks, like I think Riding Time was the one where it's just like, oh God, this is one of those like bouncy springy snares that I expect on a, like a Metallica track and have a laugh about. And, <laughs> and the, or, or, or more than anything that like I see, it, there's the bizarre lineage that I feel between like country springy snare and metal springy snare and a Skrillex snare that I just can't get out of <laughs> my head. And I, I don't mean that to be humiliating in any sense. It's literally true. It's just that there's like a quite distinctive Americanness to the sound of this. And that was a far more like meaningful barrier to me than any of the like inability to conjure or enter the worlds that she's talking about because they are just so beautifully drawn um, mm-hmm. that it, it's far harder to engage with a sound world that I'm unfamiliar with than like the poetics or the or the narrative parts. Um. Gosh, I had a I had a thought coming off of that, and I totally lost it for a second. Um, it's uh the the time that the time that I saw her live that I remember the best. Um, it was so funny because um, her drummer was just going the hell off, just <laughs> like <laughs> I was kind of like, "Hey, can you chill? I can't hear her sometimes." <laughs> it's just like like. Um, yeah, like even on the, even on the slow songs, like this album, um, can have sort of a driving force to it that I think kind of comes from some of the way that like the drummer, um, keeps, just keeps things chugging along a lot of the time, um, in a way that I'm not always used to when I go back to like nineties country music that isn't like the most poppiest country music, like Shania Twain. (laughs) Yeah, I'm almost wondering, like, how much of this is just straight up, like, to become uh, more rockist friendly. I'm not going to say this is, like, a deliberate move or tactic or anything like that, but just, like, part of the shift is also, like, rebalancing the uh, the orchestration, rebalancing the production to, like, make it sound like a full band rather than just, like, pushing mm-hmm. the vocals all the way to the front. Because, like, there are, there are a couple of reasons you'd make it more driving. One is, like you want it to sound good in a car stereo and that's the Shania Twain route. But the other route is like, if we did it the old style way, it would just be Dolly Parton's voice and no instruments behind it. Pretty much. It wouldn't feel Mm -hmm. like the same kind of full orchestrated, like properly fully arranged track. And I I don't feel like it's out of step with it to be like the Mm -hmm. reason it's so played is because it's important for a, for a record that's that much about the instrumentation and the playing of it to be, to sound the way it does. Yeah, um I have I have heard her albums prior to this, but like they kind of run together a little bit in my head. Um but like scrolling through the um Wikipedia page, uh it says like this was her least folk oriented record at the time and it's like, oh yeah, yeah, like I can definitely remember like and you can hear it on this album like 
her as more of a folk country than like a rock country sort of like because those are like i can kind of imagine in my head like three axes that you can like find yourself on which is like folk country rock country or like pop country mm-hmm. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. which i think she is moved the, uh, between two of those genders. i can't think of a moment that she's ever done pop <laughs> yeah no the, the three genders there yeah yeah there are three genders um the other thing that always gets me about this album like because it's a really important album to me and i don't think i'd heard it in like maybe a year maybe even two years but um like the thing that i forget about this album is the very powerful sense of like loss that runs through this whole thing yeah um that you i often don't find in a lot of other music honestly um there a lot of albums have the song that are about losing someone but like this is an album that really um steeps itself in like reminiscing about people that you've lost um and like like death is a very powerful force on this album in a way that like a lot of artists a lot of artists either shy away from or that becomes the entire project like you get something like a crow looked at me um or carrie and lowell um where like it is a project about death and i feel like this is an album that is i won't say unique but is just like unlike a lot of other things that that I listen to because it is an album where death is present but it is not like it's not the only thing like life is present too in this album yeah um, it's it's strange like i feel like a lot of that comes from a very like an interesting little move that you can make when you've got country like tropes and stories to play with cuz like a big part of the country story is about the well archetypical country stories have the like very natural like lovers who feud narrative thing going on Mm -hmm. and part of that is about the like abilities the singer to either like empathize to to take a stand to like empathize with the scorned woman or empathize with the like go it alone pioneering uh man and whatever it might be and they're just Mm -hmm. like so little time is actually spent inside the internal psychology of people who are discarded along the way. And they're like, they, this very powerfully feels like it's like, there are some songs that are about the person who's out on the road. And there are some songs that are about the people who are left behind. And like, mm-hmm. they, it feels like it plays both sides of it really beautifully. Cause it like, yeah, it's allowed to take the other side of the story that country songs always allude to existing and never like, take the interiority of um right it's it's, yeah Um, well and she's also um she's making a move on a lot of these songs that i always associate with dolly parton is probably mm -hmm. an older thing than just dolly but um of like you've heard you've heard a thousand songs that are about like my wife is no good um here's all like the the ways that she's just keeping me down and it's like um the move the dolly makes and that i think lucinda makes often on this record is like like centering like femininity like and like telling the other side of that story and kind of like showing like what are you fucking complaining about dude 
<laughs> yeah, there are all sorts of different moves you can make as a woman making country music, given mm-hmm. how heavily gendered the st- archetypical stories of country music are. And like some of them match up perfectly to what Dolly was doing. Some of them are like unique and different, but like all of them are like moves she can make because she's a woman writing mm-hmm. lyrics as as a woman from that position. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's very different from like, you know, we were mentioning um, Casey Musgraves because she's like, she's the it girl right now. Like she is um, the biggest name in country music. Um, you don't get that in a Casey Musgraves song because like Casey Musgraves is not like writing songs about her marriage. Um, whereas like Lucinda is still very much steeped in like heterosexual partnership. Like she still wants that. She is still expressing want for that while also being like, man, fuck this guy. <laughs> This fucking asshole. <laughs> so, I mean, this is the this is the tragedy of the straights. Is that as woke as they can get, they are still unfortunately straights. They will never they will never never live that down. Unfortunately for them, the the um joy and I think I lost it are two of the best. Just like fuck you songs. <laughs> just like. <laughs> Just like when you break up with someone and you're just like, I hope you fucking die. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I do want to ask you because I lost it was the track that reminds reminded me like, is the way she's singing, is the delivery like particularly typical for the country music you know and think of? Because like this feels so much closer to like a looser kind of indie rock singing to me, but that's only because that's what's stuck in my head about it. I don't know if that's actually... I feel Lucinda is definitely sounds like a country singer to me, but partially because like the 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 music that my dad was listening to was Steve Earle, like we've mentioned, Towns Van Zant. Uh, my dad is kind of a Willie Nelson fan. Um, uh, a lot of a lot of people who like clearly have a smoking problem and it comes through in their vocal performance. (laughs) Um, I actually like for those two songs specifically, my dad had, I, my, I don't know that my dad ever had car wheels on a gravel road as one of the albums that he played in the car. He had a live album of hers that had like, it's like two discs that he would play in the car, like a ton that I remember. And like, yeah, she's clearly smoking while she's singing that song. <laughs> um, and so when I'm trying to hear it in my head, I'm hearing that version of it. Um, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like it definitely sounds of a piece to me, but in a very like in a very different way from like how um how Casey Musgraves or how Shania Twain sings, which is how, how Dolly Parton sings. I think probably Dolly Parton is like the, like, I think Dolly Parton is probably thought of in Nashville still as how women should sing, you know? That's exactly um, it. That's the only point of reference I have, which is why it was like asking whether I mean, on a, like a, on a larger level it matches up at all. Um, You definitely, you definitely see lanes for, um, women like lucinda now um like because the 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 important characteristic of dolly parton's voice is that she is 
she is a soprano ass soprano. Yep. <laughs> um, and Lucinda is not that. Um, and I think Lucinda paved in some ways paves the way for say the the Miranda Lamberts and Carrie Underwoods of the world, who Miranda Lambert and Carrie Underwood are like two incredible singers. They do not have any of the gruffness. Like they they treat their like their voice is an instrument that they take care of like twenty four hours a day. Mm-hmm. Um but they can do they can they have affects that put them in a similar space as uh where lucinda is on this record cool Um, yeah that like yeah the the i i I said all that and like the people that i think of for who sing the most similar to her in my head are all men because there is you know once again there is a, a lane for men to sound a certain way for john prine and for for bob dylan and for um towns van zandt to sound a certain way and there's not always that same space for women yeah no that makes perfect um, sense um good album. this is the episode where we believe in the gender binary <laughs> <laughs> coming literally off the episode where we sort of fumbled angrily at the idea that like there was an inherent gendered voice um mm-hmm. but no it makes perfect sense it really really does um I almost, speaking of Miranda Lambert, my second choice for um, this was just going to be um, the Pistol Annie's record, just because I need you to hear Hell on Heels, a song about fin-doming guys. Um, uh-huh. Uh, do you want to just link me this album anyway? Because I might just listen to that. It sounds fun. Um, the rest of the album is good, but Hell on Heels is like the song that they close every concert with because they hit on something really special with that one. <laughs> I'm I'm glad to hear. Ne- um, needs needs to be done. I'm gonna drop this song in the chat, and then I'm gonna pull up some lyrics for it real quick because I'll just read these on the. Uh, do I, is this a, a live react moment? Is this a live react moment? Um. Oh yeah. Do we want to just listen to the song on the air? <laughs> yeah, I think we should, frankly. Um, okay. Okay. I'm gonna pull up the YouTube video, and then we're gonna, we're gonna three, two, one it, and then three okay. minutes are gonna happen. All right. Ready when you are. I'm good. I'm good. Three, two. One play. I love this song so much. It's it's also much more down tempo than you think of the song that they end the concert on. But you'll yeah, see. I mean you're allowed to have down tempo rages. That's a thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Oh, this is a rager. <laughs> yeah, I can, I couldn't tell. It's nice and brooding. Um, <laughs> some I'm lovely pull slide up these lyrics for you. Oh. I'll link you to them if, in case yeah, you yeah. want it. I'm hill on hill, say what you will I done made the devil a deal He made me pretty, he made me smart And I'm gonna break me a million hearts I'm hell on hills, baby I'm coming for you This diamond yeah, I'm having fun. on my hands <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is very much just like I have secured wealth uh-huh. from bullshit, awful men. Uh huh. Yeah. I think it's important to know that, like, the the image of this artwork is like gothicy lettering and curly, curly 
decorations with like leather pants and big ass high heels and boots is like the vibe. It's this is very important. Um, I'm gonna Google who the other members of this group are real quick. Um, because um, Pistol Annie's is a super group. Miranda yeah. Lambert is the most famous of them. Yeah, um, Angelina Presley and Ashley Monroe. Yeah, yeah. And this is um definitely an album cover when you know like we are the shit. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's extremely that. <laughs> and yeah, you know, it's just building and building and building. Good. I was gonna say like this very much feels super great with the like three different voices spread in the stereo field. Yeah, like, exactly. Each other. Exactly. Um, That's a guitar tone. <laughs> this guitar tone is straight out of car wheels on a gravel road. Yeah, one hundred percent. Oh, this is the clap along at the end of the concert section. This is the part that they wrote specifically to play it at the concert. Yep. (laughs) And you extend it four minutes, five minutes, six minutes, and just let it roll out. Mm -hmm. Really loud, really thunderous. (sighs) Yeah, good track. Ending on Sugar Daddy, I'm Coming For You. Such a good... (laughs) incredible i love them so much (laughs) they know what they're doing they just know what they're doing it's good when people know what they're doing oh my god (laughs) yeah this is um this is a sign from like 2011 they are still wildly popular um put out an album i think two years ago um like and you can see you can see how you like you know 10 years after car wheels on a gravel road like you get to this (laughs) You know, mm-hmm. a yeah. little bit more than ten years. Like you could see the 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 roads that Lucinda is paving with this record being yeah, so successful. Just different kinds of ways the women can present themselves, different kinds of stances you can take, different kinds of voices and pre- presentations. Yeah, it's just good. It's just I can imagine. Good. I can imagine Dolly in in. I can imagine Dolly saying, "Sugar Daddy, I'm coming for you." I can't imagine Shania Twain saying it. <laughs> Could you imagine Taylor Swift saying it? No. <laughs> I can imagine I can imagine Taylor Swift having the uh the Instagram post that Lana Del Rey did earlier this year yeah. where she's like, Well, I'm not a feminist because I like being submissive in relationships. Uh, I mean uh, her brand is very much like, I am a feminist, but mm-hmm. um, you know. In that tone of voice. <laughs> Nice one there. <laughs> I'm a feminist and I'd like to speak to your manager. <laughs> My feminist haircut is answering many questions. <laughs> that I, that, it's not even a t-shirt joke. It's just I had to put the haircut in there. Alright, um, is that the Lucinda section done? I think that's the Lucinda section done. <laughs> Phew, okay, let's take a breather. Let's, let's mm-hmm. Stop thinking about... I've, I've just got the idea of Findom Taylor Swift stuck in my brain and it's not good. Alright. She couldn't do it. She really couldn't. I think, she tradcath. 
We're never talking about Taylor Swift. We're never letting her no. grace, but no, she is the most proud cat. Whew, all right. Um, time to move on to Purple Mountains by Purple Mountains. Well, I don't like talking to myself, but someone's gotta say it hell. I mean, things have not been going well. It's time I think I finally fucked myself. You see, the life I live is sick, and I spent a decade playing chicken with oblivion. Day to day, I'm neck and neck, forgiving me. Purple Mountains is a 2019 album by Dave Berman, solo project uh, titled Purple Mountains. Dave Berman's been around like indie rock for a very long time. Um, he was maybe 52 when this album came out, early 50s or so. And since the like late 80s, uh, early 90s, he's been in a bunch of different projects, most notably one called Silver Jews. Silver Jews is 
one of those like many rotating members all around one guy who runs the whole show and co-writes all the songs and that's Dave Berman um most notably the like Stephen Malkmus of Pavement is like the other big figure associated with um Silver Jews among many other really excellent musicians but like they um Silver uh, Stephen Malkmus is like the other really famous one because Pavement's a very big band um and they've made a bunch of like not straightforwardly but like much more obviously indie rock records and i think my favorite which i'd absolutely i think you just get on with is called american water it's beautiful and amazing um Mm -hmm. so yeah dave berman like has this project called silver jews that runs pretty continually in fits and starts from the like early 90s through to the mid to late 2000s at which point um he basically falls into this like horrible depressive despair um, stops putting out music for extended periods of time, retreats, starts writing poetry and um, some like fiction prose, um, is, like steps away from the music industry wholesale, and the sort of like things that start coming out. Uh, he's got a dad. His dad is called Richard Berman. Richard Berman mm. is basically the arch lobbyist for the tobacco and like booze industries. And he basically, like Dave Berman, came to the conclusion, like, there is nothing I can do in my life as an artist and musician that will, like, redress the harm that has been caused by my fucking Republican-ass dad who's, like, tried to, like, push through fake, like, fake facts. And, like, just go onto Richard Berman's Wikipedia page and you'll, like... Yeah, I'm looking at it. This is... This is... This is nasty. So, so you know how you talk about the sort of like political consultant PR class that like produce fake consumer societies to like make it seem like no, real Americans actually do want you to kill your own pet or real Americans do want you to suffocate on your own bile age 47. And real Americans mm. do want you to um like leave the union because it's actually bad and corrupt. Like he is that dude. He is the dude who created all the like... Far, well, this not, is bad. It, the, the, the most fun thing about him was like I looked up his politics, and um, he was one of the people putting together super PACs to oppose Donald Trump in the sixteen Republican primary. Like he's that kind of mm-hmm. Republican, the one mm-hmm. who really likes money. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, like this is his background and context, and eventually he puts out after a full decade. Um, away I think Um, I think pretty much from 2009 to 2019 he just didn't make music and then after like slowly putting like recording sessions together again scrapping a bunch of stuff comes back with an album in 2019 called Purple Mounts a self-titled record and then about two three months later he takes his own life Um, Mm -hmm. and it's like it's, I'm not going to say this is some sort of like grand poetic narrative that ends with a heroic suicide because it's, that's just fucking fake as anything. Mm-hmm. But at the same time that there's like, he said all he had to say and he very openly talks about being like ruinously and suicidally depressed for the last decade and struggled to make stuff despite that. Mm-hmm. And like ended up producing a thing that was like intensely colored by that. So like the first mm-hmm. track on the first two tracks on the album are just like, jangly indie country pop rock tracks that are just about ruinous pits of depression and like 
some part of me wanted to give you this album. It's just like, this album feels like a, an autumn depression shit post album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the moment that I, I kind of fell in love with this album was, um, uh, and the end of all wanting is all I've been wanting on yeah. the first track. <laughs> and that's just <laughs> like the way that I feel. It's, so like, that's a brilliant, so this is, I think an incredible moment to just like talk about the way this hinges away from Lucinda Williams. So like mm-hmm. that line is uh, at the end of all wanting is all I've been wanting. And that's just the way that I feel. It's the end of all the choruses of the first track of the album. And it's one of those moments where not only is that just like an incredible lyric, but mm-hmm. it steps out of this like very gentle laid back country sounding like country folk track. And then just slips into this like galloping swung, like rock beat for a moment. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing that I think keeps making this album stand out to me is that, there are all these, like, in the same way I talk, like, Lucinda Williams creates these very perfect tracks, these, like, incredibly, like, beautifully constructed, self-contained tracks. There are bits of Purple Mountains, the gesture towards it having that, like, indie rock, like, expansive songwriterly nature that just, like, mm-hmm. you don't get Lucinda Williams, like, switching the beat up for the key lyrics of the chorus, but you do right there. And that was, like, the, this is what unlocks this album for me. It's the ability to have all that, like, very arch well how how would i describe it that sort of like more like playful uh like i just call lucinda williams like perfectly constructed but this is constructed in a different way rather than trying to like come with the perfectly Mm. filed off pretty self-contained product it's like it's got this sort of like a different kind of expressive language that is the language of indie rock and that it's just borrowing from that just as much as it is from like country and folk Lucinda is very much writing songs um, in a mode that, like, this can be four minutes on the album and eight minutes when you come see me, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can't do those sorts of tricks as much because everybody in the band has to kind of remember where they're at all the time, you know? Um, whereas, like, yeah, like, Berman can just have the song just totally break down for two bars and then kind of put itself back together because, like, He's just writing an album for the album, and I'm not even talking about like it sounds like he probably didn't tour off of this. Um, no, like quite clearly. But, but like, <laughs> say that in the even, most, you yeah. can play this song live. You aren't playing a 10 minute version of this. No, song exactly. Live. It's it's more specifically constructed. And it's drawing from a different set of tools to be able to do that. So this is like the counterpoint. Yeah. This is like still very much in the same vocabulary of like laid back folk rock, laid uh, back of the beat country folk. I'm just smashing words mm-hmm. together here. But like that is mm-hmm. the, that's very much the same space as Lucinda, except it pushes further into indie rock to make these very constructed moments. And I like really love that about it. But yeah, this is that's the first track and that's like sets the tone for the whole thing. Yeah. Um I think it's probably my favorite track on the whole album. I don't think that that is not a slight to the rest of the album. I just think it is like my favorite little encapsulation of what this album is. Um, there is there is a very... Um, there's something so endearing about this album in the way that he is, like... Like you said earlier, like, making puns, like, doing little plays on words, um, yeah. just, like, God, kind that- of jokingly expressing something really dark within himself yeah and this is the whole like put the jangly um like blues piano line behind i met failure in australia i fell ill in illinois i nearly lost my Mm -hmm. genitalia to an anthill in des moines like Mm -hmm. that whole verse is just like 
okay, you're fucking just going off the deep end trying to, like, trying to spit out that's the shit I'm talking about when I talk to you about Caesar's feats of shard and Freud. And just, like, uh, <laughs> it's dripping with the, like, self-loathing in such mm-hmm. a deliciously, like, knowing and gentle and, like, compassionate way that it, it gets to me. You know, it really gets to me, but in a, in a way that feels very comforting when you do have moments that do feel a lot like that. That you can take it humorously or, or sardonically or ironically in different ways. There are, like, different ways of approaching the pits mm-hmm. of despair. Like he's able to, he's able to put together like the other, the other one, there, there are a lot of moments on the album that are like this, but the, the other one that is immediately jumping to my mind, um, is from, I loved being my mother's son. Um, with like the chorus, um, she was so good and kind to me. She was, she was, she was, and that she was, is both a like smiling, reminiscing about like how good and kind my mother was. And also, like, she was. Not she is, she was. Yeah. She is gone now, and then you know? I always listen to that and thinking, like, how much of this is, like, you need to reiterate it literally 16 times over the course of this chorus to just, like, really reiterate it, to convince yourself to, like, banish all the self-doubt. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, like, I need to be absolutely convinced of this because there's a demon voice in the back of my head telling me that I wasn't either, like that love wasn't real or I wasn't deserving of it or something horrible and really mm-hmm, dark. Mm-hmm. And that like, yeah, when I say this is the autumn shit post depression album, like <laughs> I, re- I feel it. I feel it in the depths of my soul, but yeah. Um, I mean, the other thing that makes it very um, autumn is um, just the song Margaritas at the Mall. Yeah, so I think th- I've told you, I think we were friends when this happened. On my 21st birthday, I went and got like absolutely fucking plastered at a Chipotle. <laughs> no, you didn't, but that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> it was my 21st birthday and my friends and I were like, we we're broke college kids. We we're like, let's go to Chipotle. That sounds kind of nice. Like, that's just like the thing that everybody could afford and was like better than like the McDonald's we usually ate or whatever. So we go to Chipotle, and I'm like, oh, they have margaritas at Chipotle? Well, it's my 21st birthday. Sure. And I had three. (laughs) And got fucking wasted. Just fucking destroyed. (laughs) Yeah, we're drinking margaritas at the mall. This happy house got us by the balls. Yeah. That's good. Oh, my God. This Chipotle was sadly not in a mall, but that's because there's no malls in malls Lawrence, in Kansas. Lawrence, Kansas. God. Um, I unfortunately have never been drunk in a mall, but that's because I don't think I've been to like a restaurant in a mall for like five years. I don't think being drunk at a mall sounds really bad. Being high at a mall sounds all right. I mean, I mean again, like don't tell the British kids who's had an entirely different experience of consumer culture mm. what the right way mm. to tell you about American consumer culture is. <laughs> um, but at the same time, like, nah, I know what the analogs for this are. It's the Weatherspoons at 7 p.m. on a Thursday. It's... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what a Weatherspoons okay, is, but cha- I knew chain- what it was when you said 7 p.m. on a Thursday. <laughs> and like desperately cheap chain pub run by like right wing fav darling of the like 
reactionary press. Like there are, mm-hmm. there is a Weatherspoons on every single high street in every single dull, boring, grey town in England, and all of them mm-hmm. will serve you a pint for much less than it will be at the nice pub next door. And it's a place to get plastered when that's the only place to get plastered. Weirdly similar energy too. Well, the IHOP near us is open 24 hours a day. Yeah. You want to go to IHOP? It's 3 a.m. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or, no, actually, this is. it sounds more like... Is it more like that or is it more like the Waffle House? I'm trying to discern that. <laughs> I mean, again, I'm not going to tell you. You're the one who knows. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at the Weatherspoons menu real quick. <laughs> all right, we're doing this. I mean, all of them are because they're specialist in local. They will all have a different menu for their local edition. Ah, uh, that's IHOP then. IHOP does not have a different menu everywhere, but it wants, uh, an IHOP wants to tell you, this is your IHOP yeah. that you come to on Sunday after church or at 3 a.m after a a real weird night (laughs) i had an edible it didn't go well i've got munchies but also i'm sad i need a sugar rush but i also need a drink well i think one of one of the many times i've been to an ihop at 3 a.m was um i had an edible and i've just been having an anxiety attack for six hours now christ (laughs) Um, there are three uh, Weatherspoons within a mile of me in the city that I've just moved into. Oh my god! Um, <laughs> this is how England works. You need many cheap pubs. Ba- bad. Cheap there pubs. are not. I- I've there are your menu. zero McDonald's within a mile of me. <laughs> this is just the difference in American and uh, English ge- geography. Yeah, this is entirely. Uh, yeah, I live. With, I live. I look out the window to the right of me and I can see my corner shop that sells like milk and fresh vegetables and also like cleaning products. This is a different world. Yeah. Like I, if I want to go to um, the gas station that does that for me, I have to ask myself, I could walk, but then I'd have to carry it back. And that's kind of a long way. (laughs) Oh, well. Oh well, <laughs> we're getting dis- urban sprawl. Yeah, we're getting distracted. This, this wasn't, to be honest, a serious option that I could have picked with the suburbs by Arcade Fire, but that's not the album we picked. <laughs> we picked Purple Mountains. Um, but yeah, so like, there is this like, there are all kinds of different existential anxieties here. Some of them mm-hmm. are, are just about depression. There is also the breakup story here, which is like he was intensely close yeah. to his wife and. The relationship slowly fell apart in not an acrimonious way, but a way that's like just desperately tragic as people like grow apart and like as depression makes you a horrible person to be around and with. And that's just a thing that's it's sad. It's it's gut wrenching because like it's it's on a couple different songs. Um, I'm trying to remember which one was my favorite. I think is snow snow is falling in Manhattan. Is that what this is about? I think oh. what Stones Falling Manhattan was just one of the New Yorky tracks. I think Darkness and Cold was the one is like the light of my life is yeah. going out with a dude who has a yes. pink corvette. Yes, Darkness and Cold is like the one that really hit me with a lot of this stuff. Um, um, She's Making Friends, I'm Turning Stranger is also um, very good for this reason. But um, yeah, just it's it seems like a very amicable thing where it's just like, we can't be together because I'm falling apart. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know? And it seems like they're, it seems like they're both quite fond of each other, but the, just like, man, I can't like, 
do anything. I can't put the the effort into this relationship that like you deserve that like you need. Um and it's like hard to be upset at someone when like they're just like I'm trying to live my life and like you I can't like help you. I can't be your caretaker, you no, know. Exactly. Um and and that this is just like it's really gut-wrenching when someone just puts the like tragedy of their own life very plainly in front of you because like mm-hmm. we're so used to all these like even lucinda williams there's a like kernel of like resistive power in all these stories of being downtrodden and being sad and being miserable on the roads driving between butt and mm-hmm. lake pontchartrain and us and missouri wherever it is i don't know <laughs> I, I, I tried to find another deep south state and I couldn't f- figure out Mississippi fast enough. Um, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm sure the pe- I don't know where Wales is. It's fine. <laughs> uh, thank you. Um, if we did episode titles, that would be it, right? Yeah, I don't know where, where Wales is. Thank you. Um, that's made my evening. Um, but yeah, like there's like this sort of like power. There is a power to being that figure. There's a power to being the scorned woman who is in now in control of her life. And David Berman is just like saying that, no, like it's just shit. It's really just shit out there. And like, mm-hmm. there is a different kind of power in that. There's a different kind of like catharsis in being like other people feel like this or other people can acknowledge this kind of, um, of this like desperation and it's okay to feel that and it's sometimes like seductive or warm or like pleasant and enveloping to feel that and that this is like giving it form and expression in a in a way that clicks with some people because this is the way they will click with it but at the same time god it's fucking desperate mm-hmm yeah mm-hmm. the the light of my life is going out tonight without, is like without a flicker of fucking regret oh my god yeah it's 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 the thing that I like about this album, which is just that it's like there's it. There are like two very obvious layers to like what he's doing there. It's so it's so fucking clever, and also like the cleverness serves a purpose. It's not you know like um, I'm a big Little Wayne fan. The, the, <laughs> yeah, the is cleverness it- is not serving purposes. It's just fucking clever, and you you say great job, Wheezy. <laughs> Jeez, do indeed move in silence. Um, the, the, yeah, like, the, the, the way in which this is, like, so clever and, like, he thinks about, like, every little thing on this album, um, is so, is just so fun. It's, it's so fun and playful while also expressing something just, like, deep (laughs) and painful. Yeah. Um, so the, the track, the sort of, like, you, you, we already touched on the one bit of which is like that repetitious bit in uh what do you call it um i love being my mother's son um mm-hmm. which that felt that kind of like anxious anxiety and desperation to like convince yourself that that's actually true the other one is storyline mm-hmm. fever um storyline fever is um <laughs> like i'm just looking at the the interview that from exclaim that has like the the track by track rundowns with clips from the interview um and the, the quote is just um this this song has this sort of like well the 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 um interviewer asked what's up with this one um 
and Dave Berman says, I made that lineup. You've got storyline fever, storyline flu. And it's basically CBT. It's basically therapy. Um, it's your mind being captured by that romantic narrative, whether it's romantic, spiritual, political, and colors how we see the world. Um, mm-hmm. The thing is, like, storylines work on both the level of the, like, the grands and the, the like, many persons they also work on the level of the individual and like this is Mm -hmm. the one where i'm always like terrified to hear this track and be like this is a jovial track about someone summing up their own storyline and like this is how it sounds and this is how it feels to me and like Mm -hmm. it's totally like incorrect to read that like finality and neatness into this whole project because like it literally comes two months before his death and at the same time it's like there's there's all sorts of like there is no valor to be gained out of like it, there's a there's like a normalization of suicidality that is very healthy and like like necessary in some senses and then there's like a, there's a valorization of suicide itself that is like strange and still very upsetting in all kinds of different ways and that like mm-hmm. this track like really cuts that line super finely because I can feel the like. Mm-hmm urge to talk about it on this very sociological level of this like oh the world doesn't fucking make any sense to be anymore and it never did really and it's just desperately sad in that sense and there is another which is just like I have constructed a narrative of what my life is for and about and it's narrative arc is coming to a close and I am purposeless now Um, and that like that's not a conclusion that should lead you inevitably towards suicide itself, but it's mm-hmm. a sensation of suicidality or like uselessness or purposelessness that like it feels incredibly powerful to engage with it so explicitly. At least I feel it um, coming out so explicitly. And then to do it in this package, which is still very like, I listen to this track and it's just like, I'm not going to call it sweeping. It's not epic. It's like, it rides and lilts and builds and it's got like backing vocals that like produce beautiful three-part harmony and like this track is the sort of track that i hope i never end up finding myself making i'm just glad that other people have for me Mm -hmm. it's Mm -hmm. yeah this is one of those tracks that like terrifies me that it can exist in such a crystallized form but is also just like fascinating to look at from that perspective well and it's um like an an obvious comparison to make with this album is um like Bowie's last album um which is very much about like you know being 70 years old being very ill um and um then like coming out and just like 2 days later he's gone um and like the thing that i the thing that is so um compelling about this song is it's like there isn't a very easy narrative to spin um and also like you know sometimes shit just happens and it's like there there is not a, a narrative like we can put a narrative on everything we can put a narrative on berman's life but like he's he is both thinking of it in that way and also doing everything he can not to think of it in that way um um yeah like, i don't know <laughs> no, no that makes perfect sense like it, it's impossible to read that track without perceiving it in those terms but also like 
it's a track about the experience of everything just being falling apart and like narratives mm-hmm. never having mm-hmm. made sense in the first place and like I, the, yeah. it, no I think I think you just it's entirely correct it's just like it this is the problem is in like you can say that in abstract terms and like do that sort of like end of grand narratives postmodernist theory version of that and that's like an abstract thing that you can think through and that's just a totally different thing of seeing it play out in front of your eyes like seeing that attached not just to some sort of abstract notion about how the world works but seeing it to like a person who has made stuff that I've engaged with before like who's made albums that I've loved and has like produced another album that I love and is talking about not some abstract sense of the world but very much like their experience in their own life and like I mean that's the power of it is to like instantiate it to like provide a way of engaging with it that's so much more tactile and like this has a like a, a sense and feeling to it that just like I could always understand that but it took something like this to make it like mm-hmm. gripping almost like to make it tactile to make it something that I could like wrestle with in my own brain in a way that wasn't just like airy fairy playing with concepts mm-hmm <sighs> yeah it's yeah i mean this is a heavy ass album like if for, yeah. all, for all the lightness in the production and the music and the songwriting and the like soaring like whether it's synth lines or little vocal lines or it's sort of a it's sort oh. of a like laugh to keep from crying sort of thing yeah, no, entirely it's an album stuck in permanent cognitive dissonance because that's how the world fucking makes you and that's okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's important to have albums like that to remind you that it's okay to be in that state of dissonance. And like we talked about this with Anoni, that like you there are you can use that dissonance tactically in all sorts of different ways. And Anoni, it's for like mobilizing you and making you out like agitated and angry. And then in this, it's mm-hmm. to like like as a distancing and a, a like a, a there's the. I'm going to say the word is this is the Brechtian thing going on here of like, you have to encounter the, you can't just like assume that the, the instrumentation and the lyricism have to line up. Um, I thought you were going to say, I thought you were going to say dialectical, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, also Brecht was a Marxist. So yeah, it's dialectical. Uh, no, 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 Brecht explicitly <laughs> talks about this in dialectical terms that there is like, <laughs> productive synthesis of genuine of like acknowledging the opposition between those elements and the productive capacity they have rather than just expecting them to align and like this is his job is to to like expose how well it's not an exposed job it's just like he was always going to make jangly like folk rock tracks that also express his depression and that's simultaneously like a like a totality that makes perfect sense for who dave berman is and was and that also mm-hmm. like forces you to confront the separation between the two very openly and very frankly. And it's just like a very powerful way of making this kind of album. Mm-hmm. I think um, that does it for everything I had to say about this album. Yeah, same. I um, love this album. Just because It's good. It's... Again, it was an album I wanted you to have listened to. It's also an album that I think like puts the arc between country and that mode of storytelling and a different mode of storytelling in like properly stark relief it's just Mm -hmm. fun to have them together um but yeah yeah do you know what you want to talk about next time well we have the special thing to say about next time oh oh yeah 
So next week, um, well, this is going to be a three-person podcast. Right. I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to you sound very tentative and assuming, yeah, you think you did forget. But well, we did say this. If you're still cool with it. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. 100 million percent. So um, Marcy um, will be coming on to chat about the Romroll Please, uh, a thousand gex by a hundred gex with us. Hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> um, I know what I'm going to talk about next week as for my for my own pick. Do you know what you're bringing? Well, hmm. So I, I, I'm trying to think because we have not done a rap album yet. Fuck. Um, I just, Fuck. I think of that as the other, like, pole of my music taste. And so I've been trying to think of a rap album that I could, I could bring. Um, and I'm, I'm just scrolling uh, the Dead End Hip Hop page um, fucking, to see what they've Can I reviewed. fucking ninja you because I know what rap album I'm picking because I thought exactly the same thing. <laughs> okay, okay. It's Descendants this, of Cain by Kerr. Okay, cool, cool. Is that how how new is that? That's a 2020 <laughs> album. So okay, so year. like I don't have to feel bad if I pick something from like 2012 because I'm lazy. Absolutely not. Um, can't think of what it would be right now, but give me. I, I'm gonna try and think of something because I was gonna try and pull something new, but I just, there's just nothing new that I'm like wanting desperately to discuss. Yeah. Uh, so I, I mean, look. I did have a second rack album that I was considering between Kurt and the other album. I don't know if you want to just take my pick and adopt it. I think you probably want to pick something yourself, but up to you. Hit me with what you, your second pick was. Uh, Weight of the World by Mike. Um, I don't know that one. Uh, um. So these are two different albums, like quite different albums, but both like new projects by New York rappers taking very different approaches to indie hip hop. And like, again, this is stuff that's like in Marcy's wheelhouse that is in my wheelhouse that I expect will be in yours, but I'm interested to see how you've respond to each of them. There's a, there's a, there's an Earl, um, guest spot on the new Mike on this way to the world album. Let's do that. Sick. I don't know what it is. Let's do it. <laughs> All right, done. Uh, then the three albums for next week. Wait the World by Mike. Dece- um, uh, I've lost the name of the Kurt album. Uh, Descendants of Cain by Kurt. And a Thousand Gex by Hundred Gex. There we go. Cool. Cool. Yeah, I didn't want to. I didn't want to just bring Mad Villainy or something, but I wanted to bring a rap album. And yeah, I'm just like looking at Dead End Hip Hop, and I'm just like, there's not a lot coming out that's like catching my eye. That's fair. I mean, maybe these yeah. these are two 2020 records that hopefully they will do something. Uh, I will say, I have enjoyed everything that um, West Side Gun and Conway have put out this year. Mm. There's nothing to say about those albums. It's just great albums that are 30 minutes long. I mean. <laughs> Hey, these these albums are also fucking thirty minutes long. It's just they're like doing things. Hell yeah. in thirty minutes. So, but thirty yeah. minutes long in the way that like some rap songs is thirty minutes long, not thirty minutes yeah, long exactly. in the way that like wheezy mixtapes used to be thirty minutes long. Yeah, I mean the hope is the hope is you can take the sort of like the bounce and the energy and the the way that wheezy albums can slap, and then also like the mm-hmm. artistry and the the care and the delicacy and the intricacy of the the, the some rap songs version of that, and that somewhere in between there is like a there is like a happy marriage that both bumps and makes you feel things <laughs> oh yeah i'm downloading i mean i'm downloading two of these albums right now because um i have the 100 gex album you'll be you'll be <laughs> you'll unsurprised be shocked, to learn, shocked to learn. Yeah. 
Right. Um, sounds like that will do it for this week. Uh, yeah. Thank you for listening. Should we do the socials? Yeah, yeah. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee. Um, tomorrow, I'm burping. <laughs> tomorrow, I'm going to be recording on the... On the, on the 29th of September, I am getting uh, a surgery done. And so, um, like, this podcast will probably take a break. All my podcasts are taking a break after that surgery. Um, uh, and so, brain. Uh, tomorrow I'm recording the last episode before the hiatus of And Then an Aeroplane, the Studio Ghibli podcast that I do. We're talking about Tales from Earthsea. Um we have a new podcast on the Export Audio Network called Ars Arcanum, where Nora, Tilly, and I talk about fantasy, uh, the Brandon Sanderson fantasy novels, Cosmere novels. Um, it's been really something, because this first book is not very good, but there's a lot to talk about, because Brandon Sanderson doesn't know what political economy is, yet he learns it between this book and the next book. <laughs> Excellent. I'm glad to hear I mean, you, what, you are putting some screenshots you a screenshot. that were a bit on um, the nose about this. Just like, what, you mean the workers and their relationship to the means of production were being exploited? <laughs> what? How dare they? Um, it felt a bit, a bit like that. Um, uh, yeah, I'm gonna <laughs> please post that screenshot again. I would love to see that. But yes, <laughs> if, while you're doing that, I will do my bit, which is. You can find me on Twitter at Regression with three S's. You can find my K-pop breakdown, track breakdown podcast, Stan Ontology, at Stan Ontology. Um, it's an exciting time for Stan Ontology because we are coming up to the end of our first series. And finally, having built up through nine whole ass episodes, we are at BTS. So if you want to find out what BTS is, what a BTS is, how it works and what it's doing at the top of the billboard chart for the second successive week fucking mm-hmm. oh my god what is happening um subscribe to, uh, to stan ontology and we'll hopefully explain how bts turned into a world beating juggernaut over the next week or so i can't wait to um cover whatever bts country album they put out Fuck. No, bad. I disallow it <laughs> to be honest we already had old uh, soul town road that was a thing that happened Oh, I think I heard that. It was the um this was the Grammys I'm... version. Well, there was both a single and a Grammys version of Old Town Roads where RM the like lead the 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 leader of BTS and English fluent rapper um just did a verse for Old Town Road, which isn't horrendous. Like to put in context, he's genuinely one of the best rappers in K-pop K-pop. There's like there are Korean rappers who are better than him, but they aren't in the like K-pop industry complex. Mm-hmm. And hey, if you want to learn about Korean rap and its relationship to the K-pop industry, keep subscribing because after the break that we'll have to like plan season two, we'll be talking a lot about the relationship of the industry to all these like di- related areas, like how it does gender, how it does labor, how it does rap music, and how it does relations to other bits of the Korean music industry. So that'll be fun. If you want your dose of critical theory and cultural analysis along with it's a bop um, yeah.